book of Proverbs chapter 13. Proverbs chapter 13. I'm, I'm, I'm aware of the season that we're in, the time of year that we're in. The Lord is not seasonal uh, as far as heaven's calendar. He's not working off of, of uh, ours. He's a God of the whole planet. And they're not all doing Thanksgiving. You know how many people don't know what Thanksgiving is all around the world? And we're unique. Uh, 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 Swapna is a, a lady that uh, is in India and that she helps us with our website. And they, they don't have Thanksgiving. Well, it's, it's because of the Lord that we do. And he's really... Uh, aware of our holidays, of, of what we do, but I want to minister to you in the next week or two or so about uh, your dream. I want us to be prepared because we've got to, we're going to listen to something. We might as well be prepared to gather up all of 23 that the Lord has and get ready to hold it all. Melissa talked about increasing our capacity. All that 23 has, being able to hold it. What if we got a lot, but we didn't get all the Lord had prepared and we left some on the table? Well, that just would be wrong. We'd be full, but he wants us to have it all. The word says in Proverbs 13, let's see where we are, verse 12. This is a, a let's read it together. I'm in the King James. Do the best you can. Ready, read. Hope deferred maketh the heart sick, but when the desire cometh, it is a tree of life. This is really strong about how to guard our emotions, how to not let things come in and devastate us when bad news comes in, when trouble comes. Jesus said tribulation is a part of our life, but he didn't say that trouble was a part of our life. He just said the opportunity to have trouble will always be there. But we should deal with it when it comes. And so hope deferred maketh the heart sick. I looked it up in the Hebrew, the literal Hebrew, and it means this. Expectations and dreams, say my dreams. Expectation and dreams drawn out, seized, or postponed. Wounds, weakens, pressures, and tires the seat of courage in a man. But when his wish, his longing, and his appetite returns, he becomes a strong green tree. So trouble's always in the horizon. You can't say, well, I'm a Christian, trouble won't come. It just means that we know how to deal with it when it comes so that it doesn't change our life. If anything, we're strengthened. Expectations and dreams drawn out Seized or postponed, wounds, weakens, pressures, and tires the seed of courage in a man. But when his wish, his longing, and appetite returns, he becomes a strong green tree. So that tells us we need to deal with discouragement. We should never be depressed, but we should be, learn how to deal with discouraging news, bad news. Bad news. The good news is the bad news is wrong. So we have lots of bad news out there all the time, especially in America right now. 
Seems like there's lots of trouble going on, lots of controversy. Seems like our society has got the temptation to go secular. Uh, we were talking this morning about the blue laws. Who can remember those when you couldn't buy a lot of things on Sunday? Couldn't you were limited and everything, especially in a in a state like Alabama. They lasted longer than many things. But now nobody even knows what that is. You can do anything and buy anything on Sunday. It's totally a secular day. We used to be aghast if anybody would dare mow their grass on Sunday. It's like, you fool, you fool. What are you doing out there? God is standing in everybody's front yard saying, don't touch this. And uh, but now it's just it's just normal. We have crews that show up in our neighborhood at seven o'clock on Sunday morning and just crank it up and they're just mowing and doing. And it's just a part of our culture and our society now. So where there's no hope in the future, there's no power in the present. The word here is telling us we have to keep the future under control if we want to have our present pleasing to us. We have to deal with the future. In other words, we have to deal with bad news. Y'all know bad news is out there. And if you stopped and just got serious with the news right now, any day, you could get plenty down about the outlook of our nation. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Genesis. Hope deferred maketh the heart sick. So we should never let our hope get put off. We should press for our faith to be brought to pass in a timely manner. The Lord is not the God of long-term faith. Now, we can be. I can tell you Genesis tells us that Abraham, he, he uh, missed a big chance to have a son way early. Everybody thinks that God delayed it, but God didn't delay it. It took a while for Abraham to get it out, but the Lord was ready the next day. And I tell you, he's ready the next day for you. There is no long-term thing where God gets a pleasure or a purpose out of us having long, strung-out faith. He wants healing to happen that day. If not instantly, he wants it to happen that day or the next day. But we don't have, not prepared and not able to accommodate the challenge, we drag it out. We have to start in faith. We have to learn. We have to start. And the disease many times, or the financial thing, it's already got a head start. And so it's already up and running when we just figure out, I, I got to giddy up here. And so we start out behind and most people don't ever catch up. If the diagnosis or the, the prognosis of trouble, of a disaster, a flood comes in or, or uh, the lightning strikes a house or, or whatever, it usually wipes that family out and they have the news of it that plagues their family for generations after that. And that's the mark of that family. It should not be. It should be that we had the victory. Every family should have the testimony. Well, trouble came to the Joneses, but you ought to have seen the way they stood up and got started again. In Genesis chapter 37, we're going we're gonna to look at what the Word says about how to deal with our future. That'd be good, wouldn't it? Because 2023 is one of the most pivotal years, I believe, that we're going to see over the last many years. There's been an incremental and, and gradual move of degradation in the world, in the nation, 
the Congre the the uh, the uh, political scene has gone very controversial with the Republicans and the Democrats and all the different directions in the environment and all of that. So we're not here to discuss which side that should be. It should be one of a consensus. We ought to be moving in the Lord, whatever that is. We should have peace. But barring that being hap happening, we got to have peace inside of us. And as a congregation, as a family, and as your family, you got to come to the place where that stuff doesn't wipe you out. Because if you're wiped out by the news, you're always wiped out. So we got to live above it. We got to live above it. Like Melissa said, we got to live above it. Hallelujah. So it says in chapter three, verse three, a story here uh, that we all know. Israel, who became Jacob or had been Jacob, loved Joseph more than all his children. How about that? How, how, how do you think that's going to set up his family? When everybody knows you love one more than all the others. That's a recipe, isn't it? Because he was the son of his old age, which means that he was the firstborn of Rachel, his beloved, and he made him a coat of many colors. So probably Joseph was the favorite because he was a, as we know later in his life, he was exemplary in character. He had a lot of integrity. He did the right thing, plus his birth order. He was the firstborn of Rachel, and that was really special. And when his brethren, and he had a bucket of them, I guess he had 10 at that time before Benjamin was born. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably with him. Everybody seen that happen before? The favorite, the baby, often it's the baby. And uh, looks like parents would wake up to that, but they seemed like it's the first thing that they've ever seen. And so it says, and Joseph dreamed a dream. And Joseph dreamed a dream. Joseph dreamed a dream. Could we say that about you? Could we say Pam dreamed a dream? Joey dreamed a dream. Barry dreamed a dream. There's lots of dreams going on. Not necessarily nighttime dreams. That's what they're talking about here, I assume. But you could have visions. You could have revelations. You could see things which is what a dream is. You see things that you can remember and convey. And many times you can derive a purpose out of it. It speaks to you. It speaks to you. It speaks to you. Lots of things are speaking to you and me. The news is speaking. It's a despairing thing. The, uh, the economy Maybe your job, maybe your family, maybe somebody in your family is acting real horsey. I think we would all say I've got one of them or six and uh, horsey is everywhere. Only we are not horsey. Is that right? Hallelujah. We're, we're recovered horsey if, we, if we're anything. And Joseph dreamed a dream. And doggone if he didn't tell it to his brethren. <laughs> he wasn't as smart as he was going to be. And they hated him yet the more. This competition in comparison is real. And if you want to do anything with your Christian life besides just be honest and, and just do right, be aware of competition and comparison. It never serves you. 
the Lord loves us all the same. And he's got a unique and precious plan for all of us. And we do not have to compare ourselves to others in order to have that plan come to pass. He can do it for you no matter what else is going on around you. You can be the least of your least like Gideon and still rise to the top if you won't compare yourself to other people. And he said unto them, here I pray you, this dream which I have dreamed. Let's see how far we want to go here. Yeah. And behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, all of us, working in the field for dad. And lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood around about and made obeisance, worshipped to my sheaf. <laughs> Good news. <laughs> Guess what I saw? Yeah, it was me in the middle and y'all were all bowing down to me. How many of y'all are happy about that? Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And he dreamed yet another dream. Oh, happy day. <laughs> and told it to his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars made obeisance to me. I guess he had 11 brothers, didn't he? Hallelujah. And he told it to his father and to his brethren. And his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that you have, that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down before you? To the earth and his brother brethren envied him. That's a real terrible emotion. But his father observed the saying and his brethren went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. <laughs> he dreamed a dream. It's very important that Joseph, who turned out to be the second wealthiest man that's ever lived, only behind Solomon the second most important man in Egypt, the greatest kingdom of that time. Who's to say that he wasn't really the most important man because you have a husband and a wife. Well, the word says he's the head, but everybody knows she's the neck that turns the head. So really, what good is it to be the head if you just have to be turned where the neck turns you? So Joseph was behind Pharaoh, but if Pharaoh didn't do anything without Joseph telling him, Really, he was the most powerful in a seeming sense. And so uh, this played out. This dream played out. And what I want to share with you this morning is that your dream is designed to play out. And what we say, because it's not material, because it's not actually somebody walking up to us and giving us a million dollars or someone coming into your life saying, I've seen you and I want to promote you and put you in my company over everything or something that's physical, that's relatable, that you can inscribe doesn't mean that it's any less important in the impact of your life. Your dreams or things that are as a dream are essential. But if you don't regard them, if you don't believe, you think, well, that's just a dream. Anybody can dream and crazy dreams are surrounded by crazy dreams. I've had some crazy dreams. How about you? We've all had some stuff. We go, that wasn't from heaven, I hope. And uh, and uh, but then yet buried in them are significant things that the Lord's conveying to us. 
in a way that he might not be able to convey in another way. He could speak to us, but we tend to think that's me. If I heard something, I would always say, is that me or is that the Lord? And so you have that ambivalence about what the source is. But a dream is peculiarly is particularly unique to you. You get up and you're like, nobody was around listening to the dream. Did you, did you say that dream I had last night? No, I didn't see it. I didn't hear it. So it's got significance. The Lord made us and he made us to do that. And then in verse nine, he says, uh, uh, he dreamed yet another dream. So what we have here, and we're just distilling a story to, to bring a point. He saw a video of his life. And it was his life. You couldn't attach what he saw to the future. There was no way to know where it would happen, with who it would happen. But then he saw another dream with more details that said it was his brother and his father that would bow down, that he would be over. That's, that could be disturbing. Especially if you're the next to the baby. You're not even the baby, but you're all your brothers are way older than you. Go to Genesis chapter 15, if you would, please. Just slip back west. And let's see what this image thing has to do with our future. Because I'm convinced that you and I, I'm persuaded that we're persuaded that we're not maxing out our life. That we could all say, there's more to my life than I've been able to squeeze out. I'm good. I'm blessed. It's been a happy life. He's fished me out of this and, and uh, uh, pulled me out of that. Praise God. We survived. We made it. But it could have been better. We see missed opportunities and missed doors. I listened to Curry Blake last night. And uh, in this particular testimony that he was giving about his life, he, uh, I, boy, I related to it. He said, what if I had been on this mission that I'm on earlier? What if I'd said yes to it earlier? I did finally get there. And he said the Lord came to him and said when he was, when he was kind of in stuck, kind of uh, high center, as we say, said, how many more people are going to have to die before you decide to go forward with this calling? And I related to that. Can you relate to that this morning? That there's something on you that's peculiar and unique to you. It's an assignment. It's a, a, uh, it's a, it's a plan that God has ordained for us. And we're slow, it seems, to discover it. I, I say slow is if it goes a year where you're fooling around with it and toying with it and asking questions about it, but maybe not asking the right questions to the right one. We're just like, oh, that's peculiar. And sometimes somebody will bring up dreaming and you might say, well, yeah, I relate to that. I had a dream. And then one day it comes together and you say, oh, the clues were there. The Lord was talking. And now I see that way back then, I see what he was saying and I could have started way back then. And now, since we all have a time stamp on us, you might be 60 years old, whereas you could have started at 45. And that's what Curry was saying. If I'd have started, 
I could have started earlier and I would have been further along now. There was no advantage to waiting. So there's regret. The world knows about this. It's called a midlife crisis or whatever, where people look at their life, they assess their life and realize they've gone further than they meant to without doing something significant with their life. And they look ahead and say, I don't have that many years. And a lot of my advantages of my youth and my money and all that are not here anymore. What am I going to do? And they get into distress. In Genesis chapter 15, we see the man of faith, faith man, Abraham, dealing with his life. And any time you've been put out, in other words, the Lord has said, I want you to make a major move that is inconvenient. You expect something to come out of that. You expect that there's a reason for that. And you're waiting on the import or the impact of what he moved you for. In this case, he moved him out of his father's country and said, go down there. And so you're kind of like, OK, I did that. What's next? That's how I feel coming from where I came from into Alabama. It's like, OK, I was I was doing what I'm doing now and I was, you know, whatever. And I'm so glad to be here. I'm so, so glad to be here. But you are waiting many times for the next step. And that's in all of us. All of us wonder, why, why does he move us to Columbus? Why does he move us to, to all these things? And it says uh, in chapter 15, let's look in verse 1. After these things, so you'd have to look at 14, uh, uh, where, where Abraham fought this war and saved his stuff. And it settles down now. After the big deal... It settles down. It says, after these things, the word of the Lord came into Abram. Okay, that would be like a dream, wouldn't it? I mean, in the same vein of communication. You, you know something that you could not know from God or from the unseen realm. And what did he say in the vision? He said, fear not, Abram. I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Well, that doesn't mean to us what it meant back then. If someone said, I am your, your shield and your great reward, they meant they were responsible for you. It's not like, well, call me, call me if you need me. He's like, I'm pulling in next to you and I will never move from your side. And uh, I'm thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless and the steward of my house is it this Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed. Whew. <laughs> I, I'm always nervous about listening to people that argue with the Lord and accuse him. I guess I always just think the Lord is right. And that if there's a wrong somewhere, a, a lack or a need, it's always on me. But these people are like, I did it right. God, if there's trouble here, it's your fault. And Abram said, behold, to me, thou hast given no seed. And lo, one born in my house is mine heir. Now, this is very, very important in this day, this culture of be fruitful and multiply. Children are everything. Your wealth is your children. And what they will do for your family and in your old age, then you can sit back because your children are supporting you and blessing you and, and kind of basically paying back all you did for them to raise them. It is your life. 
And you are not important. You are not great if you have no children. And so he said, I hadn't got anybody. And the one that I do have, it's this old man that's in my house. He's the same as me. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him. So dream number two, so to speak, saying, this shall not be thine heir. So he contradicts Abram. And he says, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. Ah, this is a little like a revelation. This is like, uh, really, it's not what he expected. Now, I want to tell you this morning, the Lord's got something for you and me that you don't expect. It's not like, okay, plan, plan A2 or A3. I, I'm going to upgrade. We're going to make progress on what you already know. Not at all. It's totally out. That's why he comes in a dream or he like here just appears to him. Or what does it say here? The, uh, the, uh, uh, the word of the Lord came unto Abram. How many of y'all know the Lord, word of the Lord comes to you? But the weight that you and I put on it is the value of it into our lives. If we give it very little weight... It was just like it didn't happen. It's there. It's on the shelf. It's somewhere in the clutter somewhere. But we have a lot of words that people give to us that we don't really give significance to. And so they're there. And if they ever come up again, we'll we'll pay attention to them. Ah, but the Lord's got stuff hidden in his words. And it says in verse five, and he brought him forth abroad. And he said, look now toward heaven and tell the stars if that be able to number them. And then he said unto him, say it with me, so shall thy seed be. How does the Lord increase you and me? Well, you might not know it, but uh, or have thought about it. But we come together in this particular group, this setting, this cultural thing where we come to church and someone stands up and and gives a speech for 20 to 7,000 minutes, however, however you can stand it. And the design of it, the design of this is not information. It's not information because we can get information at home. Listen to a tape or read a book or, or magazine or whatever. The impact of what we're doing right now is for you and I to see things that we have not seen. Now, we know that everything in our life is based on image. Everything in your conscious, in your heart is an image. And the image that Joseph had was an image of, of sheaves. And then later, the second one was of stars and the sun and the moon. It was an image and when someone says to you words in a language you understand, English here, we instantly translate them into the usable form, the, the, the medium that we, that we deal in, which is images. So if I said the black dog, you would know more than if I just said the dog. And if I said the tall black dog, well, then the image that's inside of you by me saying tall changes. 
It adjusts. All of a sudden, the little dog gets big. And then if we say the mean tall black dog, we all have an image that we can relate to what a mean tall black dog looks like. Teeth bared and, you know, uh, uh, threatening. And so everything in your life is the compilation. My life is the compilation of the image that I've seen by the communication that's come into my life, whether by my eyes or my ears or by dreams, which is still an image. It's a direct image. We we don't dream in words. We dream in images. And when someone comes and says something to us, we process in a moment of time, we process words into images and all miscommunication is when the words that they spoke, they're they're relating an image that they're seeing and translating it into words that they give to us. And then we take that word and put it back into image form. So you have an image, you speak words to convey that image. We take the words and convey it back into an image. And then that's what we see. We see that. And if we misinterpret what they said, we miss big or black or mean, we miss any of those, then we see a little a little scooter dog just walking down the sidewalk when in fact it's a killer. It's a mauler. It's a it's a it's a terrible thing. And we miss the import of what was said. So the Lord comes out at us over and over from different venues. So here this morning, we are in the business of we're in the the ministry of imparting the right image from heaven into our hearts so that what we see is what God sees. He wants us to see it like he sees it. So it's a process. We wish we could just somehow hit a button and just just hold the finger on the button and all of us would all of a sudden in our own mind's eye see the correct image exactly like heaven did. But we have this process where we have to hear it or see it and then translate it into an image. And then there's context on our side. You might say something that that would be in my context but in your context, that same uh, 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 word might translate different based on your upbringing, your your background, your expectation, what you're looking for. You might see it different. And so we have to keep coming at it from different angles till we finally hone it down to the right image. So the Lord wants us to see it like he sees it. To see the devil like he really is. Well, what has society done with the devil? Well, back in the day when you and I were younger, we might have seen him in an earlier day where he was a, we had an image from the cartoons. The cartoons had an image of the devil, didn't they? And we all know what he looked like in some form. We all know what Santa Claus looks like. How do we know that? Well, it was a company that a man put in a magazine and he drew the first Santa Claus and then later on, they fattened him up and they made him ho, 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 and they put him down a chimney. All these things are contrived. And someone was able to illustrate that and put that image there till we all know that when someone says Santa Claus or someone says devil, 
we we go instantly to a to a uh, a memory bank that's holding that image and we bring it to the front and say I know exactly what you're saying. Okay, so this is just a lot. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not but I do know how this works and we all believe we know how this works. And so if you're looking for a, a husband or looking for a wife or looking for a church or looking for a job, you have criteria that's inside that's based on the images that you have brought forth in your upbringing or in your life. And you've cataloged those and put them in your context. And that's what you are looking for. And when you see it, you believe you have communicated with something that's pleasing to you. But somebody else, like I said, somebody's like, I'm so excited about a daycare I'm going to go work at. And for me, the context would be, oh, my word, run, <laughs> run, daycare, really run? Yes, run. And they're going, oh, I can't wait. I started at eight o'clock on Monday. So Abraham, as soon as he saw the stars, caught it. The Lord said, out of your own loins, I'm going to bring you your children. And he didn't catch it. He didn't believe it. But somehow when he stepped outside and saw what he'd always seen, what he already knew was there, but he looked at it in a new context Suddenly, he related that he was going to be the father of many nations. It took him years and years for certainly it took Sarah that many years to get the stars into a conception. Ah, it took Abraham a long time. Actually, not that long. There were other factors, but all of it. Listen, all of it was predicated on one thing until they saw the image be translated into conception and have a son, even despite the old age, there was no baby. There was no promise revealed. Well, that's what it is for you and I. Ephesians 2, don't go there, but it says in verse 5 and 6, it says, even when we were dead in sins, Hath he quickened us together with Christ, listen, listen, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places. Now that's the communication. That's the words that you and I have to see inside. And if you let that thing just fly over and you go, yeah, I know that's in the Bible. Yeah, I know that's in Ephesians. Yeah, I've read that before and I can tell you who said it the first time or where I was when I first read it. But if that image does not translate from stars into Isaac, you are not going to see yourself with authority. Isn't the point or the purpose of us being seated together with him in high places, heavenly places, isn't that to, to convey a message of if you're there, you're different. It's not like you are when you got up this morning and you put your Wheaties in the bowl and you went and brushed your teeth. 
it's 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 not like I'm ordinary. I'm normal. I'm just I got troubles today. Things are waiting on me on Monday and I got all this. That's the image you may see. But the intent or the dream or the word of the Lord is you ain't got no troubles. You are seated with him in heavenly places. So that's the truth. And we would even say the Bible is true. And we would even say theologically that we can make that play out through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and the new birth. But if you don't see yourself there, you're not having any babies and you're not going to be the prime minister of Egypt. So my future, your future is completely limited to how I see it, how I see it. So religion, religion, y'all know about religion. It's the lie. It's the lie. It's it's the perversion of the truth. It's majoring on the minors and ignoring the majors, among other things. It's uh, have it's having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. But that's what we've heard. At least that's what I'd heard. I was in church and they were painting me an image because I didn't read the Bible much and didn't know how to read it. So I went to church and the, the preacher would paint an image of my future along with everybody else. And he would say, we're just worms and we've got to struggle and the devil's big and God is little. However, they said that in religious terms, that's what they said. And don't get sick because you might die. And be good so God can bless good little boys and girls. And all those things they painted, and that's the image that I had, that's the image I'm assuming that you had in that environment because they painted the same picture every week and so we believe the image that they painted was the image that was going to be our future. So that's what we believed and that's what we became. We became what we believed and we believed what we saw and we saw what was imaged into our life. And so there's a chain of events there that says, well, this is how I got here. It wasn't just said one time. It was reinforced over and over and over. A great dream is a treasure. That's why I'm in Alabama. It's because I saw it. I just saw it. I saw it wrong. I saw it incomplete. All I really saw is... Kind of like Abraham, I'm not comparing myself to him, but I'm just saying, go down, leave your country and go down and go to where, Lord? And finally he said, Alabama. And I said, well, where there? And it ended up being Birmingham. And I was satisfied that I had followed the image or the dream or the word of the Lord. Well, that's how come you're where you are. You got married to someone that you go, I like what I see. Not just physically, but, I mean, not in form only, but I like what I see in their character, in their 
form, in their dream, their, their, their vision. I like that. I see that. I, I'm pleased with that. And I want to go after that and put that dream or that image in my life. I see myself happily married with little, little toots all around and growing up and having a great life. That's what I assume that's what you saw. Don't roll your eyes now. <laughs> so everything that God's got is an image because he's real peculiar about a particular and unique image that he gives to each one of us. And uh, I wrote it down. Where did I write that down? Uh, I, I got two scriptures here. No, I don't. But I can tell you where they are. He talks about from the foundation of the world. Do y'all remember those scriptures? There's about four of them, five, that he talks about having decided things from the foundation of the world. Well, you weren't at the foundation. You weren't at the beginning. You weren't in the middle. I, I, we just got here. But he had already been there and he planned you out. He had to start back then to plan out how we would all come together Today at River Church, today together, he planned all that out. So he has a plan for your life. Let's say it in first person. He has a plan for my life. He does. And we could go into the scriptures about praying out the plan, the mysteries that he has for you that's peculiar and unique and special just to you. There's a lot of overlaps. We all eat lunch at the same time or with the same kind every day or whatever. Hardly anybody eats pizza for breakfast. We stay away from those people if we find out about it, that, you know, that sort of thing. So we have a lot of overlap, but then there's a lot of things that are particular and, and specific to just me that I like or I don't like or that I'm looking for, that I'm expecting, that you go, I'm not expecting that at all. I, I don't even want that to come into my life. And I'm going... It's my dream. But yet we all cooperate. So he's feeding or he's furnishing that dream that he's given to you from the image that he sees from the foundation of the world. Now, I know this is a little tricky, but but if we it, what I want to do is so that we start looking at something we hadn't been looking at so we can start seeing something we hadn't seen so that we can become something we've never become. Because you cannot become what you don't see. If you don't see yourself seated with him in heavenly places, then you have no authority over the future of your life. You are a leaf on the stream. You are just a you're just going down wherever the stream and the wind blows. And that is your life. And that's how it'll go. And it won't be different than that. And I can point to a gazillion people that are that way and even big parts of my life where I did not know. And so I just was flowing. And it's not good enough because if you ever sit down and get still and start asking the Lord about anything, you will ask him about your life. Why is it this way? And was there more that I didn't know? You'll ask him that because that's what's inside of all of us is to please him. And to fulfill our calling. And when we fulfill our calling pleasing him, it pleases us. 
One of the th major things in my life that makes me happy is pleasing her. You may think that's carnal, but that when she's pleased, I'm just happy as I can be. I just that's what makes me happy is pleasing her. And uh, certainly it's not the only thing, but it's a major part of who I am. And if you don't have it in your life, you, you need to have a dream. So our environment puts parameters and limits on what we see. If you see a country, if you're raised in a country of poverty, having to go to the creek a mile away to get water and everything's outside uh, uh, sanitary facilities and, and, and there's not enough food for everybody every day, then you have a different environment to, to look through and see your dream. So prosperity for you might be a bicycle. Gosh, I was 14 years old. We got a bicycle and our daddy got a bicycle and our whole life changed. Prosperity came or whatever. But we're not even thinking that way, are we? We have a different environment that we're looking at. I wrote down a bunch of stuff that I was thinking about that, that impacts our environment, how our perspective, how we see things. And I wrote down that we all, this would be from your past. What, what if this was in? What if you were raised by a single parent? Would you have a different perspective than someone that had a, a different than that, had two parents that everything was fine? Uh, alcoholism, does that affect families? Does that affect your dream? Of course. Crime, if you live with gangsters <laughs> or petty thieves. No education. How many times have we heard stories about someone that says, I, I had to quit the fifth grade to raise to, to make money for my family. Uh, an orphan always has a skewed outlook because of their raising. They can get past it, and many of them do, but it's always different than yours if you were raised in a family of parents. Uh, poverty, obviously. No church. You know people that were raised not in church, like never went to church? If they went to somebody's funeral, that was the only time. Uh, what about if, if nobody in your family is born again? How's that different than how about you were raised? Maybe you were raised everybody going to church, or maybe you were raised, nobody was born again. Are y'all with me? Uh, racial hatred. That'll affect your future. That'll affect how you see things if you have a bias against peoples. Uh, if you were abused, I hate all men. I hate all women because of something that happened in your past. What if you're handicapped? And you're mad at God for not letting you be normal. Uh, a disease. A lot of people in the 50s, 40s and 50s had polio. And it was just a disease. It just, it just happened. You don't even know where it came from. They, it was scary. Uh, rejection. You'll never amount to anything. Get out of my face. If you hear that all the time when you're growing up. You, 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 your, your dream is going to be different than my dream that says, hey, you're the best. Young, a young parent, a single mother, or a single father, or a very young parent, that puts the child, that puts you, if you were a young parent, and that puts your child in a whole nother realm. 
Ah, uh, I got a bunch. Accident victim. Have a lot of accident victims in our society. Uh, bullying. Watched a movie the other night about somebody that was bullied and it just changed. They couldn't get past it. Uh, divorcing parents. The death of a mentor, a grandfather or a grandmother or someone that was really close to you. Uh, drug addiction. Oh, absolutely. That affects so many families. Uh, fatherlessness. Uninterested grandparents. Yeah. Constantly moving. It'll affect you. I've told you all I, I was in 13 schools when I was growing up. It didn't bother me, I don't think, but you know, that's my reference. Uh, political or religious strife, where you have parents or kinfolks that are arguing. I, I read an article the other day uh, in my man, my, my, my man article that I read that comes in. It's secular, but it's talked about what to do at Thanksgiving. Leave these two subjects alone. <laughs> Or one, somebody's going to stomp out of the house and never come back again. So, uh, so these are stories that, that invariably you either touched you or me, or we know someone that it affected, and we can observe them and say, yeah, that, that, that's hard on you. But the thing is, now here's my, here's my end of this. Everybody has a story. I surely, out of all those, and I just was making them up as I could think of them, Surely you were in one of them. Or maybe you were in something I didn't mention. And so you have a story. And our temptation is to live our future based on our story. To see our future based on the handicap or the limitation of our past. And I'm going to tell you that everybody has a story. And Jesus fixed or buried your story. Get over it. Well, you just don't know what I went through. Well, you didn't go through the Holocaust. So maybe your story is not as great as somebody else's story. Uh, you, you didn't. I know someone that saw his mother put an axe in her husband's head. In front of them, in front of the two kids, I'm just kilting. Well, that that could be traumatic on your future, on your environment. And no matter what your story. Now, this is imperative about the dream that God's trying to get into us and to translate heaven's design into us so that we see ourselves like God sees us. We see ourselves overall as Christians as a place of victors, a place of domination, a place of dominion, but also that we see ourselves in our particular place as a man or a woman having the victory in our life, our peculiar and particular life. You got to get over your story. We don't want to hear your story because we got one, we've heard one, and your story, you got to get healed of it. You got to let Jesus fix your story because everybody's got one, and if you make your past your future, you will not have been victorious in what the image that Jesus has. Seated with him in heavenly places. 
Can you see an orphan or can you see a Holocaust victim seated with him? And the Lord's saying, well, here, we got this row here for uh, for the abused Christians and they're special. And we have here we have orphans and here we have lived with addicted parents. So so they're all up here. No, they're all we're all the same. The image of heaven is, is, yeah, we all had a story, but that was something that Jesus took and conquered for us, in us, and through us. Not only are we healed of it, but we are healing agents to others. You got a story, darling? Yes, yes, I do. Well, let me tell you what Jesus will do for you. And I had a story, and here's how the Lord healed me. But if we walk around carrying this stuff like I have a hard time, I can't read, or I can't, I can't talk to people, or I can't relate to crowds, or whatever. That may be your personality because of something, but we got to get over it because the clock is ticking and you just got so many days on this earth. And when it's over, it's over and you're going to be judged not because of your story. Oh, he just had 100 points, but we're going to add 60 points because he was a victim in this. And therefore, no, you, we got to get over all of it. I got to get over all of it. Well, I'm 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 not the right race or I'm not the right gender. or I'm not the right whatever. Shh. Jesus is the great equalizer and faith is put puts him in your life. I, I want to turn. I've got just a minute. Let's turn to first Corinthians chapter two. First uh, Corinthians chapter two. Now, this is a little out of context, but I want to, uh, it spoke to me, and I want to, 1 Corinthians, excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And this, we looked at this the other day, uh, verse 9. Let's go up to verse seven. If we speak the mystery of God, the God, the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory. So that's that's who we are. We have the hidden wisdom in us, which none of the princes in this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So we know the devil messed up, didn't he? He, he is not omniscient. He is not uh, uh, he doesn't know everything. He's at one place at one time. And all he can do is send out his little minions to gather up information and bring it back to headquarters. But he is not all-knowing. And so he didn't know the future. He just guessed at it. Then it says, uh, following that, but as it is written. So Old Testament says, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man, the things which God hath prepared for them that love them. So he said in the Old Testament, they didn't know much either. Just like the devil didn't know. They didn't know. They, they, they just didn't know. They just. But then he said in verse 10, but God hath revealed them. He's in the revealing business. And we need to know that, that it's not because I don't know it doesn't mean that he hasn't revealed it. And if I ask him, he will tell me. 
we got to want to know what our future is. Lord, you got a great future plan for me. Your word says it. I believe it. It doesn't look so good right now. It doesn't look like it's going anywhere. It doesn't like it look like it could go anywhere. But that's contrary to the spirit of God who has revealed, will reveal his plan. God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. So that just tells us God's in the revealing business. And I'm a child of God. I'm not a servant. I'm a child of God. So he is telling me the family business. Would your mother tell you where the key was to the front door in case you had to get in? You know, it's under the it's under the pot out there on the patio. Well, that's who, who's she going to tell the going to tell the UPS man? No, going to no, going to tell sons and daughters. This is the key to everything we have. Well, that's what the Lord wants to do to us. So the video is playing. The video is playing, whether it's in your dreams, whether it's in the still small voice that he just starts talking to you and saying, I've got more for you than what you're doing. Enter this class, go to this church, go meet this person, what, whatever the instructions are. It's part of the revealing process that he has for us. And I've got to I got to follow that. Well, I'm really busy. We're trying to make a living around here. I'm trying to raise three kids. I'm trying to get a promotion at work. I'm I'm really trying to do the best I can. I really don't have time to stop my life and listen to God about where my life is going. Does that sound crazy? It, it sounds so out of priority. So is your life so good that you go, I don't need more? Well, the only way to get that perspective is to say it's better than it's ever been. I don't want to touch it because I don't want to mess it up. But if you saw heaven's perspective, you might say there's more. There's more. Wouldn't you like to? I think you would. I believe everybody in here would like to have a place in your life where that when you went to Walmart, heaven help us, uh, whereas you went to, where, where could we go? <laughs> where could we go? But anyway, wherever you go, Curry goes to Walmart, so we'll, let, we'll say Walmart's good enough, that you knew that you were going to be ministering to two people and get them healed. Well, how would you know that? You just decide. I'm going to stay until... I find two. Then I'm going to come to the house. What would your life be like if you actually changed the course of life for two different people? You intervened. You, you, you gave them out of your life and got them healed, got them delivered, got them whatever. In a store, in a, in a retail store. No one's looking. It's not a hospital. It's not a psychiatric ward. It's, it's a store. And you will go in there. You'd come home saying, that's who I am. I'm seated with him in heavenly places. And that's what made my day. So I'm about to finish here. I've, there's a lot here to swallow. But my life and your life is the exact reflection right now 
of the image that you have of you on the inside. Oh, no, I, 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 no. Yes, it is. It's exact, it's the exact reflection of the image that you and I hold. If we don't have any power, oh, no, flu's going around. We're going to all go under. I hope so. Get my mask on. Get, get prepared. Get ready. It's, it's coming. If that's how you think, that's the exact reflection of the image that you have inside this. Sometimes we're sick and sometimes we can escape it. But what if you had an image that says, I am never sick. It can't happen. It won't happen. Well, who can have that image? Well, if you don't know that seated with him in heavenly places has that in the repertoire of who you are, you wouldn't know that. I've always been fascinated by this word called jurisdiction. Jurisdiction. But I've never looked it up until this weekend. I looked it up. And it means, you, you know, when you're, when you're driving through in a, a town or something, it'll say, uh, what does it say? Police jurisdiction. So you, you always just, if you're speeding, you want to get to the other side of that sign. <laughs> or something, you know, or something, you know, whatever. In the name of Jesus, get to the other side of that sign. But the word jurisdiction means authority. So that means that it's it's how much do I have power or authority to change this legally? If you're a mayor, you may not have power or authority over the next city. But bless God, if we if we. In this town, I've got jurisdiction. It means territory, but then it means sovereignty. So what is your jurisdiction? If you are truly, and you believe it, I believe it, I'm seated with him in heavenly places. It's the highest place you can be seated. Another place it says the right hand of the father. So we got, we got, how can you imagine this? You got to go into your image realm and see God sitting on a tremendous throne. However that looks. And then you see Jesus on a tremendous throne. And then you see you in the same kind of throne in the same place. Not, not a little plague chair or whatever, but the same size and the same glory as what Jesus is sitting in. Have you ever thought of it that way? Or did you always just think, well, we're, we're behind him in the, in, the, in the back up there section, in the nosebleed section. We're up there, but no, exactly the same. What if you knew that and it affected your sense of jurisdiction. Do you have authority over the devil? Well, how do you know that? Because it says it. That's right, Garland. It says it. It says, I give you jurisdiction over the devil. So if the devil messes with you, what image do you see? You see a fight, a standoff, a, a tussle, a wrestle, uh, a, a time frame where you go back and forth and eventually, you know, you come out of the fight and you're standing there raggedy, but you, you, you win. That's how most people think. 
But what if you had another image of that? Like, in the name of Jesus, get behind me. You're under my feet. Now be gone. What if you said that and had an image of it that was absolute? It happened. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. What if you had that? Well, yeah, I've got that, but, but we don't have that. We want that and we say we have that. But experientially, I would say that a lot of people struggle with a, uh, a problem, a, a situation where he's messing with you or a, a money situation or a disease situation where we didn't have that image of who we were. And therefore, we we took our jurisdiction in and had it just around here instead of having it over everything on the planet. Now, I don't have jurisdiction over, uh, uh, this is funny. Used to, they'd take this scripture in churches that says that, uh, that uh, men are, are, are over women. Well, it's because of that scripture in Timothy that says uh, men are over women. The word men is the same in the Greek as the word husband. And the word woman in the Greek is the same as the word wife. So it didn't mean that men have authority over women, but they'd get up and preach that. What it said was is husbands have authority over their wives or whatever it said. You had to translate it according to context. The word for women is uh, uh, G-Y-N-E. And we know that's a word for, that means wife or woman. But they'd get up and preach that men had authority over women. And so, so that would mean that I have authority over, over Pam, Joyce, or, or, or single woman, I could say. Oh, like Susan, I could say, I have authority over her. She's a woman, I'm a man. You go, that's crazy. You don't have jurisdiction there. But they believed it and they walked it out. So... What is your jurisdiction? I'm, I'm fixing to lose it here, so i got to get back in here. You cannot exceed the image of yourself in your jurisdiction. So we have to increase or perfect the image of who we are. Who am I? Well, I'm seated with him in heavenly places. Okay, there's a lot of other things. He always causes me to triumph in him. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. As he is, so am I in this world. A lot of things bolster my image. But if I don't listen to them, I might not have a good image. So uh, we got to know who we're in charge of. Do you have charge over disease? We would say legally we do. But vitally, we might say, I don't know. If we were going to be honest, we'd say, legally, I do. I have authority over sickness. Legally, I have it. But vitally, which is the experiential part, you might say, I don't know. What if leukemia came? What if cerebral palsy came? How would I deal with that? You would deal with it exactly according to the image that you see of yourself inside. So I'm changing my image. Behold, the dreamer cometh, it says in Genesis. They looked up at Joseph and said, ah, here he comes again. Dream number three, probably. 
And that's what they say. That's what heaven says about you. Behold, the dreamer cometh. So I'd find some dreams. I'd stop my busy, 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 busy life, which is very challenging to truly stop it and put it on hold for just a little bit. There's something calling all the time. And I'd stop and say I'm not moving until I see or hear something about who I am. And he'll bring a scripture to you. And it'll be a scripture in the Bible. And you go, what's so special about that? I've read it before. But when he brings you a scripture, a word, it's your word. It's the one you need. It's the one that you'll depend on. I have scriptures in my life that are me, even though everybody's read them. But they're me. We have scriptures in the word about River Church, even though they're, they've been there forever. They're River Church. That is who we are. And that's what we have, and that's what we do. I would stop, and I would say, i got to hear from heaven, because trouble's coming. Trouble's coming. It's everywhere. It's not that, you know, it's a, a good Christian wouldn't say that. We know trouble comes, but greater is he that is in us than the trouble. So we don't have any. Proverbs 3, 6 says, he will show you which path to take. I'm going to prophesy, just like uh, Melissa already did, that next year, 2023, will be a year of, of uh, increase. But it's particularly the word of the Lord that came to me was it's going to be a year of knowing what to do. That's what I'm going to give you for 2023. It's your year to know what to do. I know what to do. I have an unction from the Holy One, and I know all things. I know what to do. Amen. Isn't Jesus wonderful? I just appreciate him being sensitive to who we are every day and stopping everything that's going on in his kingdom and saying, I'm going to touch you in the particular area that you're in, that you're dealing with, that you're struggling in, and that's not working out, and I'm going to stop, and we're going to work it out together until you get it straight. Yay. Yay, Lord. Lord, we thank you this day for the plan that's been before the foundation of the world for each one of our lives. It is precious. It is holy. This plan is holy. You regard it as sacred. And that you are doing everything in heaven's power to bring it to pass in our life. So we're going to cooperate. We're going to come under. We're going to listen to you talk about your plan for me. So that we can cooperate and we can please you and we'll be pleased. Thank you, Lord, for insight on this. We'll give way to it. We'll give uh, focus to it. And it will change 2023 and the rest of our days. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 I want to encourage you again to look at the DHT. I think we're watching 2017 right now. But 2020 is out. I have not seen 2020. Does anybody know about 2020? Yeah. Is it different? Is it? Cassius, have y'all watched 2020 yet? Yeah, 2020's out and the book's out, so I, I think the book's out. Anyway, I'm, I'm looking into that. If uh, I'm real interested. I always have been. I've been with Curry. 
I, we prayed about, I'll just tell you all that before we go. We prayed about back in 08 about being directors for Alabama with Curry Blake. And uh, we just didn't feel like it was time to put John G. Lake Ministries on to what was then Word of Life. It just, it didn't, we couldn't make it fit. But the Lord told Debbie that Curry Blake is your mentor for healing. And so I just passed that along to you. I've never heard him in error. I've never heard him. Not, not that that would disqualify. I love a lot of people that I've heard them say things that you go, that's not right, but the Lord will fix it for you. And we're just going to move on together. That, you don't throw people out because they, y'all know. Thank you for not throwing me out. Hallelujah. I bless you in Jesus' name. Be blessed. You are, we're going to leave this year with such an image of the future that we will be indomitable. We will, we will be unstoppable. We will fulfill our call. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 God bless.